0: Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, Coffee is Me listeners, Valerian here. Thank you for tuning in into this episode. Before we start to talk with Tim Volkema about his coffee brands, I have a big announcement for you. William and me decided to sell Unleashed Coffee. I know, shocker, right? We took this decision because there were certain developments in our personal lives Which led us to realize that we cannot give Unleash Coffee 100% and therefore we would like to see someone else taking over this project. This is a big big opportunity for everyone who is thinking to start a coffee company, just started a coffee company or wants to utilize our sales channels and make, make them their own. If you are curious what were these life decisions, I'm actually going to talk about them in this podcast with Tim. If you are interested to hear more about what is included in Unleashed Coffee, I would invite you to stay with me after this podcast and I will run you down about what Unleashed Coffee is, what are we selling and what are your opportunities. But before that, Let's start the podcast with Tim Volkema from Sparrow's Coffee and Scholl Coffee. Hey coffee lovers, welcome to another episode of Coffee is Me podcast. I'm super stoked that you tuned in again and today, as always, I have again a special episode for you. It's a, it's a, it's a theme of a father and a daughter and I'm actually thinking right now that we make it even a 2 porter because I have so, so many questions for them. Welcome, Tim and Frankie uh, Volkema. Uh, welcome in the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you.
1: We're happy to be here.
0: And you guys are representing three companies. Uh, it's uh, Shul Coffee, Sparrow Coffee, and Frankie. Uh, you represent the Homen Coffee, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And you guys are from? Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yep. I always warm up with a question about your first sip of coffee. What is your memory for your first coffee ever? It was
1: in college actually and it was a latte. So I wasn't in the coffee at all, but I had a Uh, like you know early on in my dating life um, somebody asked me to meet them at a coffee shop and so I really didn't know what to order but she ordered a latte so I just did the same thing and I thought it was good I mean it was pretty uh, I'm sure it wasn't wasn't a great latte it was a long time ago but I do remember it vividly because I just wasn't um, familiar with drinking coffee wasn't really interested at the time I was probably 21,
0: uh, so uh, that's that's many years ago. How did you survive the world before that without coffee?
1: Uh, up to 21, yeah, I guess, I guess uh, you know, just that young energy. <laughs> I suppose uh, I, I didn't need to be caffeinated back then.
0: When I introduced you, I mentioned like three companies. Obviously, one is Frankie, and two are related somehow to you. What happened? I mean. Isn't one company enough for you?
1: Well, I I started out with Shul Coffee. So Shul Coffee was founded in 1981, and it was founded by Gary Shul. He was a food importer and went to Europe a lot to find new things to bring back to the States. And he'd be over there and he'd have a good cup of coffee. Um, You you know, Europe had such a strong coffee culture going way back where America's is newer. And so he... It was like the coffee in America is terrible. And, and again, early 80s, this was, I mean, Starbucks was, I guess it, it existed, but it was, you know, maybe one store, or two stores at the time. So the coffee culture hadn't really been formed here yet. So he was early and he started roasting um, specialty only coffee and, and, and flavors and darker roasts and very, you know, very much that, that second wave of, of coffee. And he was part of that. He was the first specialty coffee roaster in Michigan, and so then he handed his, the company down to his daughter, Greta, and she ran it for about 15 years, and when she got close to retirement age a few years ago, um, I had coincidentally become friends with her nephew uh, when we lived in New York, and kept in touch, and, and he was like, you should talk to my aunt because um, you know she's looking to retire, and, and he knew that I was looking for something entrepreneurial to do, and uh, so, just he te- sort of made that match, and then we had a bunch of discussions, and it, over the course of a year, and um, we we closed uh, the deal, um, summer of two thousand seventeen. Uh, so it's been about three and a half years, and then Sparrows was later. So Sparrows was a local brand here, and and more more like kind of third wave, and they started roasting their own coffee. But it was very small, and uh, but but we felt that. They did serve. While there's definitely overlap in in the coffee and sort of the, the score of the coffee, there's a little bit of a different audience that's attracted to each. And so it felt like a good and smart thing to do to bring that that brand on. Um, and and so we run it out of the same facility, but but we just uh, serve different audiences, I guess, with the two brands.
0: Uh, that's awesome to hear. You basically cover your bases. I mean, there's so many times this attention. Uh, that you know between dark roast and a light roast and most of the coffee nerds you know belong to one but you as a coffee entrepreneur you cover your bases with (laughs) with with both worlds I would say by the way what's your background and why did you decide to buy coffee companies and not let's say a pizza company or something else
1: yeah yeah sure so out of undergrad i was just a management consultant so i learned how to do some financial stuff i worked in mergers and acquisitions and in bankruptcy projects and then i went to business school I went, I went to graduate school um just outside chicago at northwestern for two years and then i went to Kraft foods for five years and i worked in brand management there so sort of a marketing general management role and then i started a, a restaurant, uh, sort of an Indian version of Chipotle, with a classmate of mine from Kellogg, uh, from Northwestern, and that was out in San Francisco. So we were out there for four years, and that still exists, that's called Casa, K-A-S-A. My uh, former business partners own it now, but it's still still out there. And then I worked at Amazon for three years after that, and I I ran a business there called Wag.com, which was part of a subsidiary that they purchased uh, called Quidzy, and so they had diapers.com and wag.com and soap.com. So I did that for three years, and then for family reasons, we decided to move to Michigan. So we were, were living in different in different places, but my wife's from here originally, and so am I. And our kids were getting to the ages where we thought it would be great to have um, more access to aunts and uncles, their grandparents, just extended family, and so we moved to Michigan. Um, so that's and that's kind of when I. Uh, was looking for like what am I going to do uh, in, in Grand Rapids and there's a lot of family-owned businesses here and so part of you know what we were thinking about is what if we found one that was good and just had some opportunity to um, you know grow it and and and, uh, and take it but take something healthy and just and just uh, something with a solid base and foundation and, and grow it so um, so looked for a while and then um, was doing some other consulting on the side and and ultimately found Shul and been really happy, happy about it. Awesome.
0: So there is no like a story where you discovered the magic coffee and you decided to go to the coffee lands and you started a company. You just very pragmatically went like, yeah, coffee is kind of cool and that's what I'm going to do. I will be honest with you. I, I mean, so I love coffee
1: now and I did... Prior to shul, like as an adult and living in these in these cities with all these great coffee shops and you know roasters, I, I definitely fell in love with with coffee. But um, when I was looking for for a company, I actually didn't want something that had like consumer appeal. I, I was I was in this consumer world for so long. I was like, I just want to find a bolt factory <laughs> that that does well that nobody cares about. Um, because I don't want to be competing against all these, you know, ridiculously smart people in consumer business. And and anyway, uh, so I I was kind of against the idea actually at first, but then after touring the facility and seeing, you know, how good of a reputation she had, <clears throat> and then sort of seeing, like immediately I saw some things that could be done to grow the business. And so it just it, it worked out, and I, and I'm really glad that it worked out. But but that was my ingoing hypothesis was let's find a business that nobody cares about not one that is beloved by a
0: community and uh and and has a lot of competition like coffee wow i mean that's super honest and it's it's very refreshing to hear most of our stories in a coffee industry we always have something like i fall in love with coffee and that's why i started to business and then many times we are not great at business we are great at the coffee and it's also kind of a question in me myself many times asking myself like am i a coffee nerd or am i a coffee entrepreneur i don't know i'm mean, mostly nerd unfortunately <laughs> i'm sure you're both and uh and i i i think i might be both too now what is what do you think if somebody today is like oh the coffee business is kind of cool i like coffee what's better is it better to start their own, go through their path, or is it better to uh, buy a coffee company like you did? I I think it's easier
1: to find something that's already established. So for example, Shul had lots of grocery accounts. Those are difficult to get, but Mm -hmm. Gary and Greta over the years just developed those relationships, cultivated those relationships. And so had, had we not had that solid base, I mean, you know, I've certainly tried to expand the business in grocery and in the other channels that we serve, but, um, but that's challenging and it takes a long time. So I think if, if there is an opportunity to find something that is established and you can, you know, I think the other key there is, is it the right time for the, for the owner of the business to, to, to move on or would you do it together? I mean, there's lots of different ways you could, you could approach it, but um, th- there's a, certainly more complexity in finding, uh, you know, something that exists and purchasing it than there is in just starting something. But I think the flip side is starting something is so difficult and takes usually a lot longer than you think. And so, I mean, I, am very happy with, um, you know, I, I, I'm happy that I was able to find something that, that was, that was solid, uh, you know, with great channels already in place because I have started a business before and, and, and it was exhilarating and a totally different challenge and there was great things about it. But, um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm very, uh, I feel very fortunate that I, I was able to find Shul and that it was a good fit and the timing was right.
0: If I will come to you today and say, Hey Tim, can you give me some advice? I'm looking for business to buy, let's say coffee business to buy a, how to find them and B, any tips, what to Pay attention as a very first let's say few things,
1: yeah, I guess I'd back up and say, why do you want to buy a coffee business? Like do you want to buy a business or do you want to buy a coffee business and if you want to, you know if, if you're really intent on on staying in coffee or being in coffee, then um, then I think you just have to get to know roasters and start start networking to say who's who's possibly interested in in either taking on a new partner or or maybe moving on to a different opportunity. And would be willing to to sell and and that's i don't know that there's at least i'm not aware of like a marketplace where where like roasters just put themselves up for sale so i think i think it'd just be a lot of informal
0: networking how would you make up at your decision if that's a good match for example what would be the few few things one has to kind of examine obviously the financials and what else would you try to kind of look into
1: yeah i think it depends on you know a lot of variables one is where do you want to be like do you want to be in denver do you want to be in california are you totally flexible because these are physical businesses with with locations that already exist so you know it's very difficult to to run a business from 2,000 miles away so that's like the first screen at least it was for me because we moved back to michigan for family reasons like i said and so you know, if there was a roaster in Milwaukee, I, I wouldn't have cared. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have pursued that. So I think that's that's one thing. And then the other thing is just size, right? So if usually you buy, you know, a business based on its on its earnings, and there's some multiple of those earnings that you're um, going to start uh, negotiating. Uh, that that's kind of where you would start the negotiation based on the financials of the business. And you know, what are you gonna what can you really buy? Like how much access to capital do you have? Do you want to buy something with 100 employees or 10 or 5? That's a personal question just based on, you know, how much capital you think you have access to, whether it's investors or bank loans or whatever. Uh, I think that's that's another huge factor is just,
0: just size. Is there any very general rule you would value a company? What What kind of numbers or what will you look into in order value a company you want to purchase. Sure. I,
1: I don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to get on, on this topic, but, um, but I definitely would start by thinking about a strategic buyer versus a financial buyer. And so a financial buyer is going to be um, almost agnostic toward what the business is. And they're going to say, okay, I'm gonna let's say you know the the business cash flows you know a hundred thousand dollars right so a hundred thousand dollars a year is like what the business spits out after somebody's running it and you are paying all your people and you're paying your rent and you know that's its profit mm-hmm. they're gonna do three to five times that number so three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand would be a reasonable number for a business that spits out a hundred thousand dollars a year in cash flow but you know a lot of these businesses are strategic and so. It's like, well, I can get a lot of savings by combining the two companies into one, and you know, we 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 only need one roasting facility, maybe, and so that's that's a strategic that that they'd be applying, you know, some like a strategic lens to a, a specific company, in which case
0: you you could probably
1: justify a higher multiple.
0: Gotcha. So, okay. um, you mentioned that you have these two brands. And they're very different ones, specializing specialty coffee. Second, does uh, dark roast. You mentioned flavored coffee. When I started in 2002, I was super fascinated about flavored coffees. I never did them because I didn't know at that time, I didn't know how to do them. But for me, it was like, wow, what an interesting concept. Obviously today it's less popular, I would say, because we can replace many times syrups and stuff. Uh, when you're making coffee, you basically add the syrup to the beverage rather than flavoring the coffee itself, but you guys are still doing it. How does it do? And uh, are there some innovations? Is there something interesting? Basically, how is the flavored coffee space? I, I think the
1: flavored coffee space is, is interesting. I, I think when you get further down the path of specialty coffee, it's it's just not as popular. So if, you know, you find, you find, that, that that sort of goes back to the, customer segmentation idea there's there's definitely a lot of people who still drink flavored coffee and, I, and a lot of young people too and so what I think what we're finding at least is we we have a dedicated audience to to flavored coffee and then we've also got a dedicated audience to non-flavored but the interesting thing is especially on the flavored coffee side I don't think that's the way our, our customers think about it they, they they might drink a non-flavored coffee and a flavored coffee but they might not make the distinction between them as like oh one is clearly flavored and one is non-flavored they, they might say well i really like the colombian but i also really like the hazelnut cream and so it's 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 just interesting but in general um it does it does well and you know especially in grocery grocery we do a lot of bulk coffee and grocers want a lot of choices and you know if you're only have eight non-flavored coffee sometimes there's 20 bins And so it's helpful to have some additional options there.
0: I always like to look in spaces where nobody else is looking because that's where you can score. If you start another company, which is the same, like 30 other companies in your region, well, good luck with that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm again, kind of like, huh, interesting. I would kind of never do it because I don't have my heart in it. And I always have to have my heart in the, in the product. I think that maybe there's a renaissance in this. Many specialty coffee people would say, oh, this is a horrible idea. And I can wag fingers at them too. I really believe in specialty coffee. I really love to experience the terroir of the place where the, where the the coffee comes from. And for that, you know, minimum uh, processing is important. And I don't know if you heard, you probably heard that these days, over fermented coffees or all these alternative fermenting processes, like carbonic maceration, etc, are super popular. Yeah. Is it basically flavoring that coffee taking away the terroir? In my book, yes. And I know I'm going to make angry a lot of specialty coffee lovers, but it is really taking away the honesty of the coffee. So it happens in a specialty world too. We just call it a different, uh, different name, I guess sure that's an interesting way to think about it yeah after we made a lot of people upset let's go to something different (laughs) i always like to talk about sales channels as this podcast goes i'm really looking forward to this which sales channels you guys use and which work for you and which don't sure
1: yeah, when I uh, joined Shul three and a half years ago, I, I would say the sales channels, the distribution of them have, has changed a little bit, or the, I, I guess I should say the composition of the sales have changed, but we're still in all the same channels, so grocery is a big one. And we're in, uh, you know, bag form, so the twelve ounce bags, and and we're also in the bulk bins, and and that's just Shule. So Sparrows isn't really Sparrows is starting to get into grocery, but Sparrows is is primarily uh, online and in, in its own cafe and uh, other cafes. So, um, but Shule has has sort of the grocery business, the the office coffee business, and and in there you'd have. Uh, churches and hospitals and uh, other other types of uh, organizations. And then you'd ha- you, Shul has its own store that's attached to the production facility where, where we um, in Grand Rapids where we are. And then uh, there's an online business and and Sparrows has an online business too. And then Sparrows is also on Trade, uh, which is this uh, subscription platform. Out of New York, and so that's that's pretty much that captures where each of the brands are. I think Shula's is is you know older and more established and and thus a lot larger than sparrows. And so we're you know we're trying to figure out where to put our resources to try to to try to grow the most efficiently. And so you asked which channels are working and and which aren't. I mean, they're all working. And and from a profitability standpoint, they're they're fairly similar. They're just they're just different in that, like online, for instance, you you get all the all the money, and so you don't sell wholesale, you sell at full price. But you're paying for shipping. You're you know sometimes paying you know promotions, and you're paying some, for Facebook ads. And so there's just a different cost structure. But it's funny, you know, as you go down the the profit and loss statements of each of the different channels, they. They're, they're remarkably similar, at least for us, when you get to the bottom.
0: Interesting. Do you guys sell on Amazon? We do. We do. Not a lot.
1: Not a lot. That has been not very successful
0: for Okay, us. because I was wondering that, you know, as a former Amazon contractor, was, is that correct? You would probably have some secrets for us how to sell on Amazon.
1: I wish. No. <laughs> it, it's, they're very automated. So, you know, they're, they're, we're on their marketplace so they have two different sides of the business. One is is direct, like a store, where they they bring inventory in and they sell it. So just like you would, you know, put your coffee in a grocery store. The other way is that it's fulfilled by um, either them or you, but it's on their marketplace. So essentially, you set up your store on their site and then um we we choose to f- have them fulfill it so we send them you know a bunch of product and then people order and then they end up sending the, the bags out for us but there's a lot of fees um as far as that goes and it's it's we've we've had a little bit of a cha- challenging time getting traction on amazon there's just a lot of coffee uh, and it's, it's pretty competitive so it's been okay i mean i'm glad we tried it but it has not been the most successful thing we've done
0: Yeah, with Unleashed Coffee, we have the same experience. And not only that, but there were puzzling things like we spend money on advertising, you know, because Amazon wants it. You're basically losing money then. And at some point we stopped it. Our sales were exactly the same. So we're like, what? You know? So it's like, then we just don't spend, you know, money on advertising and we sell whatever we sell. I mean, for us right now, Amazon is more moving a stock. Our green coffee is, that's interesting. That's, something yeah. we actually yeah. make profit on uh, not too much but we move a lot so that's much more interesting as you said there are some amazing companies who do great and if you google well not google if you search on amazon coffee they pop up right away they 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 know some kind of secret uh, formula how to do this or just spend too much money i don't know i was hoping that you tell me
1: <laughs> well yeah i think i think there's a couple things one is it seems like the the Folks who sell a lot on Amazon have been on Amazon a long time. Mm-hmm. They've definitely been able to build up their reviews and their audiences when it was less competitive. At least that's that's um, what I've seen in in, co- in, on a, in in the coffee category on Amazon. And the other thing is, like I, I'm thinking of Death Wish in particular. It's just a very specific product benefit. So they they have a lot of caffeine because they use you know robusta right and that has more caffeine, and so their coffee probably doesn't taste, it's not very nuanced in its flavor, I'm sure, but that doesn't matter because they're trying to sell to folks who want a lot of caffeine, and so they're just this, they have this like super specific product benefit, and if you're looking for strong coffee or high caffeine coffee, they can buy really specific keywords and do well with those. So that's that's who I see doing well on Amazon. I'm sure there's others who are just regular coffee companies that are doing well that I don't know about, but but I don't have the definitely not crack the Amazon code, that's for sure.
0: When it, when it comes to Death Wish, it's interesting that you mentioned them. I'm not sure if they're using Robusta, honestly. Uh, I think they were claiming Arabica. I don't know. I wanted to have them on podcast. They never came back to me. Uh, I tried to kind of really get them because I think that's a super interesting concept. Again, they picked one, as you said, they picked one thing and the strongest coffee and I was just... Curious how it works. I think they want to keep their secret for themselves. <laughs> you mentioned grocery stores and many people on uh, this podcast, we always talk about them because I have mixed experience with grocery stores. I totally agree with you. To get in is super hard. Some of the people who I interview, they have good success with grocery stores. With Anish Coffee, we sell some and we have better month, worse month. Some grocery stores are not even worth it. I mean, the direct sales is always the best through a website, obviously, but it's, you know, we cannot move everything to a website. You mentioned that you have success with grocery stores. What are your, let's say, tips to be successful in a grocery store?
1: It's hard for me to say how to, it's hard for me to give advice on how to build a grocery store business because, you know, Shul was again around at the right time when there wasn't a lot of other higher end roasters. And so they were able to build that distribution during that window, which uh, which is which is great. I mean, I, I think the way that we're trying to run our grocery business now is we have two different kinds of customers. Some customers we ship directly to or we drop off the coffee directly. And those are often like high-end specialty markets. And... The other type of account we have is through our distributor accounts, so we have a handful of, of key distributors that we work with, and, and those those end up being really important partners. So a lot of distributors will say, hey, we'll get you into a lot of new accounts, and, and usually that's not the case. Usually, they're, they're going to stock the shelf for you, I mean, they'll, they'll sometimes pick it up from your facility, and they'll do a lot of the legwork on on, on distributors. Distribution, but um, but you're still in charge of, of growing the business. But we've had we have a couple partners who have really done an awesome job getting us new accounts, and and have basically lived up to their word in that regard. So I would say, you know, to the extent that you can talk directly with specialty markets, especially if you're selling a higher end product, which I'm guessing a lot of your listeners um, are. That, that's great, but then other the, the key piece is to find um, a couple of distribution partners who you really click with and who can you, know, you get behind your product and you, you trust um, them to tell the story in the right way. And not that we don't come in alongside those distributors when they're pitching maybe like a, a larger new account, but but finding those partners is is really, really key.
0: We also worked with distributors, a uh, distributor uh, singular. All all they did was basically taking 20% for distribution, which we could do it ourselves in our region. I mean, if they would uh, distribute to other places of the United States, obviously, that's a a good value. I don't know. Is the 20% rate something which works also in your region?
1: That seems really standard. Yeah, that's that's exactly how we operate. And and we don't have any national distributors. It's not that we wouldn't necessarily, but we don't. And so we've got some regional distributors that we work with that are awesome, and we're really happy with them. So I know that uh, you, you know if you want to get national distribution, sometimes you have to work with like a khe or uh, some some larger distributor like that. And I and I know that that can get even more expensive than twenty percent because they've got fees uh, on product that doesn't sell within the right window, and and you know. I've heard they've got extensive fees that can make profitability a challenge. So we haven't gone down that road, but I know others have and have found success with it. But I, I'm not uh, super clear on on how how to do that
0: at this point. Do you do any special things in order to support your sales in a grocery stores, like demos or specials or something like that?
1: Yep, we do temporary price reductions. So every so often two three months we'll do a window where uh the and and we don't execute it the distributor does where they'll just reduce the price by a dollar or two dollars and that's usually a shared cost so we would give a kind of a rebate on what is scanned and then the distributor would would give up some of um their margin to to help help with the cost as well but so we do those and then um, there's circulars that some grocery chains have where they do like the flyers and, you know, we, we do those as well. And often they'll be in conjunction with the, the, the price reduction window. So we, we absolutely participate in those types of things. Demos are really challenging because we're in, you know, over a couple hundred stores and you can hire people to do demos for you, but it's pretty expensive. And then they really don't know anything about your product. Exactly it doesn't work really. I mean, we, we do some of our like better accounts locally, like if it's easy and if the account asks for it, we honestly, we will, we will send somebody over and do a demo, but they don't, they don't help us that much. It's more, I almost view it as like a relationship management tool more than a marketing tool.
0: On the grocery stores where we did demo, we always did uh, better sales that few days after that was really cool maybe a week or two weeks. Obviously now it's very hard because of the COVID. In Point Ray Station, there's a very charming little store. And uh, in the parking lot, they have farmer's market. And when we did demos on Saturdays when the farmer market was happening, we sold out of coffee right there. So it was always awesome. And what worked for us recently is those discounts. I don't know how much your coffee retails for, but our magic number was under 10 bucks. As soon as our like twelve ounce bag was under ten bucks going very well. There are some grocery stores where it doesn't move, but let's say our one of our biggest grocery stores is Berkeley Bowl in Berkeley. And that was the number. I mean seriously the coffee was flying off the shelf. What's your experience in pricing?
1: Yeah, so shul and sparrows are a little bit different. So shul is basically 999 or 1099. Um that's its regular shelf price. It sort of depends on the store, but that's that's generally where Shul is. And then Sparrows is more uh, $13.99, 14 99 $15, that, that kind of range. And, and yeah, when it's on um, TPR to temporary price reduction, um, we don't really do that as much with Sparrows. Like I said, the, the grocery business for Sparrows is super, super tiny and just, just getting going. But on, sh- on the Shul side, it's usually two dollars. So it's usually like a, if it's nine ninety nine at the store, it would be seven ninety nine, and and we see good lifts. I, I think you're always running the risk of training your customers to look for for deals, and that's that's just something to be balanced. I mean, you don't want to end up. At least I don't want to end up like frozen pizza, where every something's always on deal all the time, and that's what that's how. Con- so over time, that category has trained that consumer to look for just buy kind of whatever's on deal. And I, I def- definitely want to avoid that if, if possible with coffee. But it, when you do um, reduce the price, it does. We do see a lift. So I don't know what the right balance is, but we're you know we're we're, we're trying to figure that out.
0: Yeah, I think that we have similar, similar experience. Like our, just to compare that, you know, we we put it on sale 9.99 and our regular price is uh, 12.99 and higher people see value there. Also, I totally agree with you on discounting and with my other brand, the Slovak brand, uh, Green Plantation, where we are very specialty oriented. We go for high grade coffees and uh, there we don't do discounts at all, never ever what we do we give you two free samples you know and stuff like that so we do give you a support in a different way but not in discounting so it is way we attract a different kind of uh, customers customer yeah with coffee pro the online education i'm doing in united states we used to do like four times a year discounts on it and when i rebuilt it this summer i decided not to do discounts anymore. I mean, you have to do really something for me. So for example, if you purchase uh, Boot Coffee's courses or the webinars, then we have the partnership and yeah, we, we get a discount on Coffee Pro. And maybe, maybe there will be a discount on Black Friday. So once a year, maybe, because I actually enjoy that part. On Black Friday, it's really fun when people go nuts and buying all kind of stuff and same goes for Coffee Pro. But I think that Coffee Pro right now is already amazing value and giving discounts, it kind of gives you different feel about the brand and the product. So I have this question in myself too, and I'm playing in different brands with different pricing and discounting. Oh, you mentioned trade. I did try to sign up with trade once, was not successful. How did you get in? We
1: talked to them a while ago, before we had Sparrows, actually. So I, w- I talked to them about Shul and with Shul having such a wide portfolio, while it is all specialty with flavored coffees and you know, it's just too too broad of an offering and to be a good fit for them. And so then when we got Sparrows, we we started sending them coffee and they have a Q grader on staff and somebody who evaluates the coffee and just started the conversation that way. And so it was a long process, but ultimately they decided to pick us up. I think they really liked our packaging too. So we, we, we redesigned the first thing we did when we acquired Sparrows is, is to redesign the bag. And it was just sort of a brown bag. It wasn't nothing wrong with it, but it just wasn't, it wasn't next level. And we felt like it needed to be. And once we did that, they, I think really liked that as well. And so they liked the coffee and they liked the bag and that's, you know, a huge part of
0: the, the customer experience for them. And so that that's when they decided to bring us on. Interesting, I contacted them and I think that Unleash Coffee uh, packaging is sharp, but I contacted them, they were not interested at all. Like they just like, no. Do we have any secret tips for people who wanna get into raid is like how to approach them? Did you just send them coffee or did you first write to them or?
1: I mean, I would just say persistence. And, okay. and if
0: they if they
1: their their whole thing is to have the best roasters in America or at least the the roasters they determine to be the best. So, it's really up to them to decide who they have on their platform. And if, and, and I also I would argue we're we're pretty easy to work with. We're pretty transparent, so uh you know, when we were figuring out what we would charge them for the coffee, like I was pretty open with them about what our costs are and and, um, and just so we wouldn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, super cloak and dagger, like we want, you know, to, you, you know, we want you to pay us this much for each bag and not going to tell you why. And so we tried to just be uh, open and persistent. And, and so that's the advice I would have.
0: Excellent. Now the question, the $1 million question is like, if you would have to give three tips to somebody who is want to start new coffee brand, what would that be?
1: I would say that, the product is really important but it's almost it's it's like a it's like an anti like it's a baseline right like you have to have if you're starting a specialty coffee company now there are so many that i think you you just have to have good product for sure but i, I think just having good product is not nearly enough and so you need to have a point of view like a, like you need to figure out where you sit in the marketplace and so that needs to be reflected in your story and your packaging and, and and sort of the overall experience and, and and your marketing right like so what you're doing with organic social on Instagram and fa- maybe you're on Facebook too or whatever platforms um, it, it's all got to tie together because because I think if people are paying a premium for something like coffee they they want they want something behind it and, and they want to sort of be excited about not only the way it tastes but they want to be excited about purchasing it and, and to to get them excited about that. I feel like, I just feel like there's so many good coffee companies out there. It's incredible. Um, like I'm a subscriber to trade just so I can try tons of different coffees
0: and it's,
1: it's, it's it's great. Like I'm just consistently impressed by all the other roasters throughout this country. And so it's, I mean, well, I guess this way, I'm not sure I would advise
0: somebody to open up a coffee company. Um, right now, unless you have a really specific reason to do it. One of my favorite questions is if I would give you $10,000 today, what kind of coffee business would you start?
1: I, I heard that I have heard you give this question to other, other people on your podcast and there was, um, I, I'm forgetting the person specifically, but they said 10,000, there's nothing you can do with $10,000. And I sort of agree. I mean, 10,000 is, is not a lot. And so maybe, you know, maybe the thing that you could do with 10, 10 grand is buy a super small uh, roaster and and just see if you like it, right? Like, see if you like the process of roasting coffee and giving it to your neighbors.
0: But I, I, I think your options are fairly limited with $10,000. Mm, okay. Uh, you know why I'm asking the $10,000 question? So the reason is because that's how much it costs to start green plantation. It's a different place, obviously. It's Eastern Europe, so some things are cheaper, that's but cool. we also have to sell the coffee cheaper. That's why I landed on that ten thousand dollars question. And you know, it's supposed to be challenging. If I give you one million dollars, boy, I mean, you know what to have to spend <laughs> that. You know, that's easy. But yeah, with a ten thousand dollar question, and also I think that many people who are just thinking to start a coffee business, they would. Probably play around that number. That's easy to you know have ten thousand dollars to start a company. Even unleash coffee, which we didn't invest in roasters, we didn't invest in places because we we're using Coros, roasting place. Even th- that cost us. I think that the initial investment was around thirty k. So you are well, right. It's super hard. But- super hard. I think
1: if you're gonna put my feet to the fire on the ten thousand, though, I think you could start a coffee business, but I don't think you could do the actual production of the coffee. I think you'd have to find a partner, and and you just say, okay, I'm gonna throw up a website, and I'm going to decide what my coffee's called, I'm gonna pay a designer to help me design the packaging, but then I'm gonna find a a, a roasting partner, so I don't have to spend anything on equipment, and I'm gonna give up some margin um, in that process, but that's okay, because the startup costs are lower. And if I'm selling coffee, if, if my idea seems to be resonating with the market, then cool. And at some point, maybe I'll get my own roaster. But I I would, I would definitely find, you know, like a toll roasting partner. And 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 actually, like Shul does some of that for other people. And
0: uh, that's so. If if, if you want my real answer for ten grand, that's probably what I would do. I recently had a consultation with one young person from Arizona who is planning to start a coffee business, and he has really hard time to find roasting place around him. And I was like, we just go to roasters and ask them if they will rent time on their roasters. I know I would. I mean, with your plantation, we are open because, I mean, my thinking is that if you are thinking to start a coffee roasting business, you will. So why I wouldn't have uh, some profit from you in the beginning, right? And who knows? Maybe we develop a partnership. Maybe I just have some profit from you. But you know, you will be my competitor at some point. If I would come to you, would you let me use your roasters for obviously some fee? Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. Okay. We have uh, someone that does that currently. So they come in a couple hours a month. And yes, yes, we we would and we do. And because I totally agree with you. Like I think it's and it's okay if they become my competitor. It's a big category. And I've I've found the people in this industry to be so what like open, helpful. It's been amazing. And and I feel like I want to be that
0: way as well seems not in Arizona. I mean, he has a really hard time. And I know just... I, I would be so willing to kind of explain to these rosters, he's going to be a competitor no matter what. So you, you there's few benefits from it. One, you can learn from things so, from a fresh brain, because obviously, you do your job your way and somebody comes with new ideas. So you can get inspired, not steal his idea, but get inspired and maybe do something else too. maybe you find an amazing partner. Maybe, you know, if nothing pans out, Again, you have the profit for the first year, two years, three years, I don't know how long they will use your services. And fourth, I mean, coffee roasting business is not easy. It's not like you're going to be millionaire, you know, from one day to another. Maybe the person decides, no, I don't really wanna do it. So, you know, there are few benefits you can have from this kind of relation. And, you know, I'm totally open to that. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you have any question for me? Sure,
1: I, I, I'm curious about this podcast. I mean, you've been doing it for a while. What do you feel like you've gotten out of it, and are you happy with the time you
0: spent on it? Oh boy, <laughs> I am happy to spend time on it because I enjoy talking to you guys. In my life, usually I'm introvert, so I'm not in the cool uh, societies of the coffee world. And this podcast kind of helps me to get into these worlds. You know, I can talk to you, I can talk to interesting people in a coffee industry and share wisdom, which is really, it's, it's amazing. Like the, the ideas I got from this podcast are just worth every second I spent on it. That said, you know, I, people maybe notice there are sometimes like times when I stopped doing podcasts. There is no podcast for, you know, a few months, six months, maybe even a year sometimes. It's when I get really busy in other projects. I'm in a crossroad right now. I'm this year. I'm making a lot of decisions, like what is important in my life because I cannot do everything. It's just not possible. I'm getting older, and also I can I feel that not everything I can I can give hundred percent. You know, sometimes not even thirty percent, and that's not good. So I actually in the beginning of this uh, episode, there an announcement about Unleashed coffee that we are selling it. And uh, that's why I ask you so many questions about selling the coffee brand to so kind of like alliance with it. And the reason is because we realized that you know, William, my business partner, he does green coffee, and he has his farm, and he wants to focus on that. Plus, he has a job in the United States where they had to let 50 percent of people go. His nonprofit had to, you know, uh, let most of the people go, and he has to kind of pick up the slack there. So he wants to focus on something else. And in my case, I decided that I really want to focus a little bit on this podcast and also the Coffee Pro, the the online education. You know, that's something really interesting. And maybe other things which are related to this kind of like online coffee business, you know, either education or just, you know, uh, podcasts and stuff. So that's a long answer, right? <laughs> but... No, it's great. It's great. I
1: was, it kind of led me to the other question I had, which is, what are you more passionate about roasting
0: and selling coffee or or coffee education i'll be very transparent about this uh, i love to roast uh for me roasting going to roast on a let's say i roast weekends now it's it's a turning off the time i'm in a place i'm myself i love the roasting experience it's it's awesome i'm okay with sales but I cannot make enough uh, that I can say, call it a living for my family here in the United States in European business is different. I yeah. guess I still have my kind of, I can kind of understand the, the people in central Europe more, I can talk to them about that coffee more than I can in the United States. And I don't know why, why, why is that? I don't know because I don't see that big difference between people. But again, United States for me, communicating this coffee thing is much harder to create, generate sales. Uh, But, you know, again, life priorities means that I have to decide what I want to do in my life. So I guess the roasting will go and I'll stay with this uh, podcasting and writing content about coffee mostly. But sometimes, you know, there's a little devil in me that, you know, maybe a wine podcast and supporting Mm -hmm. my homelands with promoting Hungarian and Slovak Central European wines in the United States might be a good idea. But anytime that little devil talks to me, I kind of slap him that, hey, man, when? When, you know? Uh, so I don't know. It's a good question. And as I, as you can see, I'm making up an answer as we as we speak. Because I don't know. I still have to figure this out. But I'm successful that I already decided to let Anish Kofi go. And I tell you, that was very hard. Yeah. I love to work with William. He's... He's a very hardworking person. I like the idea of working from a coffee from the farm. We are not even like, we are not losing money because all the mechanisms we put in are basically, you know, we use co facilities. So our investment was into green coffee mostly. And yet I, I decided let it go because that's something which takes a lot of my time. And I don't think it gives enough uh, benefits, I would say, compared to other things. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, where can people find you? So tell us where people can find you.
1: So if you're not in Grand Rapids, Michigan or in Michigan in general, well, if you're in the Midwest, you can find us at lots of lots of retailers like uh, Meijer, um, D&W, Family Fair, uh, Kingma's. There's, there's a, a long list. And on our website, there's we have a location, a store locator as well. Um, and our website is shulcoffee.com. So it's S-C-H-U-I-L-C-O-F-F-E-E dot com. So that's Shul. And then Sparrows uh, is, is it's kind of a different URL. <laughs> um, it's thesparrowsgr.com.
0: So uh, thesparrowsgr.com. I'll put all the links into the show notes. So just go to Coffee is Me website, find the podcast, and in article you'll find all the links. So it's super easy to click and go. right, you are still with me. Thank you. It seems that you must be interested about the Unleashed Coffee sale. Maybe just pure curiosity or maybe you are really interested to buy it. In any case, thank you so much. I did talk about Unleashed Coffee a lot of times in this podcast. We also have a three-parter with William, my partner, where we talk about uh, the brand itself. You probably know most of our sales techniques. You probably know what sales channels work for us and which don't. But if you don't know what Unleash Coffee is, Unleash Coffee is a partnership between me and William Murad. William currently lives in the United States. He works for a non-profit as a director of the IT, and he also does a lot of other jobs for this non-profit. His family lives in Brazil. They manage the coffee farm. William visits the coffee farm at least twice a year and he goes for a few weeks to monitor the harvest, to uh, work with the farm, to decide about plantings, to basically work on the farm. But the main idea of the company is the coffee is directly from the farmer. We strongly feel that supporting the farmer in any form is super important. And we hope if you consider this project, you will continue the idea of working with the farmers, helping the farmer, or in some way, incorporating the farmer into your future ventures. So what is included? Well, first of all, the branding, right? We have a beautiful logo, we have an established brand, logo was designed by a professional designer we did not use any services of Fiverr or these uh, cheap logo making uh, services we used a professional designer from the San Francisco Bay Area she worked for companies like Williams Sonoma and reputable big foodie brands in our area so she knows what she does And I think, we think, she did an amazing job with our branding. You also get the branding, the name Unleashed Coffee. And since March 2020, the name Unleashed Coffee is trademarked. We did not start to use the little TM sign over our name, but you are entitled to, because it is part of the package. The name is trademarked. You obviously get the .com domain, UnleashedCoffee.com, which is aged. Just a very short description aged domains and aged accounts like aged Instagram account, Amazon accounts are super important for you. They help you with your search engine optimization because the search engines trust that it that domain is reputable when it comes to social media Instagram or Facebook or let's say when it comes to Marketplaces like Amazon will trust age domains and you will have better exposure thanks to that. You will get our packaging design and actually you get two of them. One is our first version which was designed by the same designer who designed our logo. As the years passed by we decided to remodernize it last year and you get also the new modern uh, design for the packaging. And with that, you also get some of the packages, because we are not going to use them. So you will get around two, 3000 12-ounce packaging professionally printed. You also get other little branding things like, for example, our stamp, which we use for 2-pound craft packaging, labels, and obviously the designs. You get. We have a farmer's market tent, which you can use uh, if you are doing demos, or if you sell your coffee on farmer's markets. You get our media database, which will be super important if you work in coffee. You know that it's kind of hard to get great images from the farms. We got you covered. We have a lot of videos, images, drone shots. All these you can use to promote your coffee. Obviously, if you're going to continue with our unleashed Coffee and work with William, Uh, you you can use these uh, media. When it comes to marketing, we also have email lists. It's not big, but I'll tell you that we always sterilize this list. Sterilization of the lists means that you get rid of all the people on your email list who are not clicking your links, they are not opening the emails. So you only keep the people who are relevant to your brand and they create conversions, what means that actually they buy coffee from you. You get all our know-how, obviously from branding, where to print your packaging for very cheap. William is super vigilant when it comes to finding the best deals. You get my rose profiles and you get everything we know about our brand. You get all our social media accounts. And again, these are aged. You get our Instagram account, Facebook account, YouTube account, Google Business Account and Yelp. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and Google Business Account they do have followers or reviews and all these are super important for your brand. Even if you don't consider buying Unleash Coffee as a gift to you, is a, I give you a tip that if you don't have Google Business Account you're losing out big time. Google Business's account is super important so you can showcase your brand for potential customers. Just Google any brand in your area and see what pops up. In the main search, you will see probably like two, three ads. And after that, you see the search results. You probably will not score there. Those are already highly established SEO accounts. On the right side, you see a kind of a little square with one brand and maybe other brands as a suggestions under it. And these are usually from your region. And here you will score. Here people will see your business account. If you set up some amazing pictures, you see them. If you have reviews, you will see them. If you have some announcements, you see them. So working with Google business account is super important. And we did. We have some reviews. We have some images there so people can check you out. Same goes for Instagram. I think we have around 1,100 followers. To get to 1,100 followers today is super hard. You get it. You will not have to work for two years or finding fake followers. These are all real followers. These are all people who followed us throughout the four years we were selling coffee. But let's go to the main part, the sales channels. I guess you guys really want to know about our sales channels. I'm going to divide these into two parts. One part will be online sales channels, and one part would be offline sales channels. On the online sales channels, you obviously get our website, unleashedcoffee.com. We built it on WordPress and WooCommerce, and we implemented the most modern marketing techniques, including pixeling, abandoned cart reminders and there is much more and it really depends on your future business model what you want to implement and i am here to help you with this we figure out what you want and if you buy the coffee brand i'll be there with you holding your hands and we figure we set it up so it works best for you we have the amazon account again we are talking about the aged account We sell on Amazon green coffee, and we sell also roasted coffee. If you listen to this podcast, you know that we have mixed results with the roasted coffee, and green coffee is doing much better for us on Amazon. With all these, you get also the reviews of those products, and these are all real reviews. We never cheated, we never tried to uh, play the system, we really believed that we want to stay on Amazon and you know if you do kind of tricks Amazon can disable account we never did that it's all age it's old organic fulfilled by Amazon means that we create we roast the coffee and package the green coffee send it to Amazon warehouse and when people buy it then Amazon is the one who fulfills the order it has advantages and disadvantages the advantage is that once you create the product You send it in, and you don't have to deal with this anymore. You are done, and Amazon is usually doing a great job distributing that product. But this advantage is that you cannot control the the freshness of the coffee, and, and it will cost you money because Amazon is having hefty fees on this. That said, you have to look into numbers and make sure that this is worth for you or not. There's a lot of brands on Amazon who are doing an amazing job. Maybe you will do a better job than we did. Again, for us, it is worth it, but it's not the best. We have all the experimental online accounts, aged online accounts, like Etsy. You actually get some reviews there. That's kind of cool. Etsy used to do much better for us than now. We don't know what happened. They probably changed the algorithm. I know that they want you to ship for free. So there are opportunities on Etsy. I personally really like their, their system. I really like their um, online shop experience, the back end and the front end. So that's something which again we can talk together and figure out maybe for something for you. We do sell on eBay. eBay is not doing great, but there are plenty of people selling a lot of green coffee on ebay and maybe that's another opportunity for you we did not spend too much energy into it we just tested it we sell on the spin which is a marketplace of a coffee maker i think it's a super interesting concept there were some issues with the spin for us the main issue was that the notification about sales did not come only the reminders that meant that we delivered coffee usually late which I hated to do and I did not know how to fix that the notification go uh, come to us in time so we post that marketplace. We just postponed it. If you guys want to continue that obviously you can. You can figure it out. Another opportunity for you. And finally we also use RangeMe. RangeMe is a platform where wholesale is happening. So grocery stores are looking for products on RangeMe and they're supposed to find you. We have mixed feelings with RangeMe. We used to be a paying member. It's not cheap, it's pretty expensive. And as a paying members, we did not have enough accounts to justify that cost. As a free account it's there and here and there we get a grocery store who orders from us as a test but unfortunately usually it's out of our area and we cannot do the full support like tastings or talking to them and and kind of like building the whole thing together again it's up to you I would recommend the free account I would not recommend personally the paid account Alright, so these are our online sales. Let's talk a little bit about offline sales. This can be an amazing asset for you if you are in a San Francisco Bay area. We have seven grocery stores. And you can think about grocery stores not only as a sales channel, but also as a reference. Especially with our top-selling grocery stores, and that's Berkeley Bowl. Berkeley Bowl is, I think... The best grocery store I ever seen in my life. As other people go to Lake Tahoe, me and my wife we visit Berkeley Bowl as a tourist destination. The selection of produce, wines, cheeses, you name it—it's amazing, and we just love, love to be there and shop there. So once we got there, as Unleashed coffee, I was super, super stoked, and. We see that customers of Berkeley Bowl gets us. That's probably our best grocery store experience is Berkeley Bowl. So we are in both. There are two Berkeley Bowls in, in Berkeley. You get to get into both of them. And let me tell you to get into grocery stores is not easy. To get into Berkeley Bowl is almost impossible. Then you get five grocery stores in Marin County. These are grocery stores we started with. Some of them doing good, some of them are doing okay, and some of them are not doing anything for us right now. We don't give up because we already have the shelf, so we never give that up. It's an opportunity for you to figure it out, to hack the code, and maybe do better than us. Again, we will be with you. We will help you. We will tell you everything about our experience in these grocery stores so you can develop your own strategies and maybe you do better than us. All the sales numbers, how much we sell in these grocery stores will be available to you if you contact me and I prepare a document which I can share with you and you can look closer into these numbers. Except these grocery stores, we also have smaller accounts like Brazilian Breads. It's a chain of two small stores. They sell Brazilian breads and snacks and they also use our coffee. The order here and there. It's really up to you to keep the contact, to reinitiate the the relation, and make best of it. There's also a catering company which works with us. Unfortunately, they did not order for a while, mostly because of the COVID situation. And we hope that when this situation is figured out, you can reinitiate contact with them. They really love what we do, and uh, we really love to work with them. If you follow Unlish Coffee on the social media or uh, you know that we are providing coffee for a Pink Owl Cafe in San Rafael, that's true, we do that, but that account is not part of the sale simply because we know that Pink Owl is working very hard to start their own roasting operation, most likely they will start it very soon through co-roasting, so we cannot promise you that that account will be yours. Today there are ours, but I have to be 100% transparent with you that that account most likely will not, or actually 99%, it will not yours just to be 100% transparent. Finally, we have also a growth idea for you. It's a concept we were developing for a past year, year and a half. When we developed our espresso blend we realized that it became super popular. With this profile I came back to my youth when I enjoyed my European espressos which were not harsh and bitter because of the dark rose but they were not sour and acidic because of the very light rose. I think Personally, selecting the right coffee for the espresso is the key for having it nicely balanced. And Brazilian coffees give you this opportunity. They are nutty, they are chocolatey, and you don't have to roast them dark in order to lower the acidity. Brazilian coffees are naturally low in acidity, which in filter coffee many times we mind. But in espresso, I think that's perfect. Also, most of Sandra Naturals from Brazil give you a lot of crema. And I know many of you think, oh, crema is not that important, doesn't taste very good. But it's important visually. And if you are in a cafe, you're not selling only great coffee, but you're also giving a visual experience. The same goes with super automatic espresso makers. When people are at home and they press that button, there's not too much adjusting grind and everything. It just simply a coffee comes out and if there is crema, they love it. So our espresso became very fast, very popular between people. And this gave us an idea that how about creating a vending machine or espresso machine which you know takes one button and gives you different coffee beverages. We had invested in a machine which is called Jettino. Gettino is made in China. It has a lot of features. It's made in China, but the main components, and as a grinder, that's Ditting, Swiss, the mixing uh, elements are Italian. So it has nice components. It has different beverages, from espresso to cappuccino to, to macchiato to hot chocolate, you name it. It has as i mentioned the grinder and the fresh beans hopper has three other containers one is for sugar one is for cocoa and one is for milk when we created this whole concept we wanted to do something super special we did not want to be another vending machine so all the ingredients in this are clean meaning coffee is roasted coffee not instant roasted freshly roasted coffee Milk powder is not a milk substitute or instant something. It is a milk powder made of milk. We tested over 9 brands and we settled with one which you like the most. And luckily, it's also priced very well. When it comes to hot chocolate, we tested many brands. But every time when I looked at the packaging, there was so much junk in every hot chocolate. I would not want to feed that to my kids. So we replaced it with cocoa. When you when we bought this machine, it came when we bought this machine, it was very Chinese, meaning that the recipes were pretty much junk. Those beverages were not tasting good. So in a year, what we were working on were the recipes. I personally try to match the SCA standards when it comes to espresso, cappuccino, and lattes and played a lot with these numbers, but also I wanted to create a a palatable beverage. And it took a year, not because I was playing with it for a year, but we also did a lot of tests on people. We did these small focus groups where people tasted the beverages and gave us feedbacks. If you would see this machine has a lot of options. You can adjust the amount of sugar, the milk, the coffee, and also the customer can do the same. So it is a very complex thing. Also there's an option when you can charge by the amount of beverages because it counts it but also you can add this little credit card reading machine. I have also for you the business model of this so you can look at the numbers and you can look how much money you can earn with a machine. and I tell you if you can sell 50 coffees a day with this machine for around a dollar it's very very interesting business model. So you get all this as a cherry on the top. If you got into this point, thank you so much for listening. I hope we inspired you or at least created a curiosity. All this is included in the sale of Alnish Coffee. Plus, obviously, you get our support. We want you to succeed. We don't only want to sell you the company, we want you to succeed. We also have some green coffee for you if you want to buy it. That's separate, obviously. And I hope that you will cooperate with William and his farm in the future, because that would kind of make sense. But if you don't, if you want to know only our sales channels, you are welcome to give us an offer too. So what is the value of this all? How much does it cost? Well, it's hard to determine. depends on your needs. Tim, in this podcast, he Told it very beautifully. It depends what you want to do with the brand. Are you buying only the business? Are you buying the, the concept and the business? Or are you buying into concept, business and future profits? And we hope after you review our document, you will come up with an offer. This sale is time sensitive. We want to finish the sale ASAP ideally before December because William is going to his farm in Brazil and the transfer would be much easier if you can start it from New Year's. If you want to look into our general numbers, if you want to know which source sells how much, if you want to uh, have a list of links I mentioned, you are more than welcome to get our document. Please contact me via my email valerian at coffee You can also uh, contact me via our unleashed email valerian at unleashedcoffee.com. You can also contact me via our website. You just go coffees.me and uh, fill out the contact form. You can find me on Facebook and we can chat via Facebook. Just drop me an email that you have a serious interest and I will provide you with a document where you can see a little bit more into the company. And at the very end, I want to emphasize. This is a unique opportunity for you if you are thinking to start or just started a coffee company. You get into these sales channels right away. These are channels which are very hard to get in. I'm talking about the grocery stores, Amazon. You save time with aging your domain because you're going to have one. You get a professional branding. You save time on your developing on your first customers on a social media. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this segment. And I'm looking forward to answering your questions and getting your offers, obviously. Talk to you in the next podcast. Until then, have a great time. Bye.